Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health in these incredible times. And of course, the conversation has been primarily focused about COVID-19 and the consequences. And we typically delve into the health aspects of this, but today we're going to take a different angle and we're joined by Catherine Austin Fitz, who's a professional in finances and has uh, actually quite a bit of experience with the government in the late 80s, 88, I believe. She was uh, chosen by George Herbert Walker Bush, the original George Bush, uh, as the Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. And then she resigned, and she can tell that story if she likes. And she's been quite active since then in exposing a lot of the finances uh, and the corruption and the fraud that's so prevalent and really contributing as a primary factor, especially in this pandemic. So we're really delighted to have you today and looking forward to discussing the financial component of this because it's big, it's really big and there's very few people more qualified to address than you. So thank you for joining us. Well, I appreciate it. You forgot to mention that I am an avid reader of your website and material and recommend oh, you always. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention it because I wasn't aware of it until you just said that. So yeah. <laughs> I, no, I don't know if it qualifies as a forgot. I wasn't aware. <laughs> so, well, we thank you. I your website all the time. And I can't tell you what an admirer I am of you and your work. So I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Well, great. Well, thanks. So uh, maybe you could give us a you know, it's always best from my perspective to have the viewers who may be unfamiliar with you to have a better understanding of your background and, and that helps them understand where you're coming from and then can frame what sure. we're going to discuss in a moment. So maybe if you can briefly summarize what I mentioned. Yeah, so earlier. I had a very successful career on Wall Street and then went to Washington briefly and was appalled at the mortgage corruption and left, started my own firm, which was very successful. And I got caught up in litigation with the federal government. And part of that was, and this won't surprise you, discovering what a criminal enterprise the major media was. Mm -hmm. And I decided during that period that, that I, would, I would stop trying to discuss anything with people through the media. In fact, I would just answer people's uh, uh, questions directly. And those two, that, that process of just constantly answering people's questions, because I was doing radio shows, and the flow of emails that resulted turned into two businesses, one of which was an investment advisory business started in 2007. And what happened was I discovered that the many of the financial problems and many of the financial challenges that my clients were facing was uh, really were generated by health, including many of them from vaccine injury and vaccine adverse events. And so what happened was, you know, I was expecting, and I should say, I'm no longer an investment advisor. I have an investment advisory company, but we only do screens. I don't do individual investment advice. But what I discovered was it was absolutely imperative if you wanted to help your clients have a successful, you know, be successful at building family wealth, that you had to integrate the investment in health and wellness with the investment in financial things, you know, so I would have, have people who told me they had millions in their 
who had millions of dollars in their brokerage account that they couldn't afford organic or biodynamic food. No. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you crazy? You can't not afford it. You know, so there was an integration that had to happen. And it got me, because, because of the extraordinary expense of vaccine injury and adverse event, it got me very interested in vaccines. And I spent many, many years reading and studying um, you know, what in the world was going on and, and why the lies were so bad. It's very interesting. One of the reasons that people would seek me out at that time was they would run into the lies and the fraud in the healthcare industry and say, if it's this bad in healthcare, you know, what in the world is going on with our money? Anyway, so the, the process required that I understand what was happening on an integrated basis between money and health in the big picture, but also in the little picture, because if families don't learn how to navigate these lies, as you know, it can be devastating, you know, legally, financially, emotionally, physically, in every way. And so the, the two are really integrated like two sides of the coin. Okay, well, thank you for that framing. And I want to compliment you on your wise choice of uh, earbuds. Uh, I can't tell you how frequently <laughs> I encounter guests and they're wearing wireless AirPods. So uh, uh -huh. it just always surprised me. That is a strong suggestion. They don't understand the, the dangers of radio frequency fields as you obviously do. So congratulations well, on I that. Well, I read Marcola, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I wasn't going to go here first, but as long as you mention it, I think it's, a, uh -huh. it's an interesting entry point because to me, it's one of the, most egregious violations ever in financial history of what they've been able to get away with in implementing this vaccine. And that is the removal of all, all liability. Initially, they had that liability removed through the 1986 Act, but this was a different deal because they had the, uh, it's, it comes under a different, the PrEP Act. They the, pre the, bio, they the PrEP Act, yeah. The Bioweapons Treaty. So, but essentially resulting in the same result, they have absolute immunity to any prosecution, any liability for anything. So a person can be mandated to get this vaccine, mandated to infect the COVID injection and suffer permanent disability requiring right. millions of dollars of care afterwards. And they are responsible, not anyone else. Right. Well, this is really, uh, I don't know if you know this, but very early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, I published an article called The Injection Fraud. Um, and no, I, 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 yeah, no, I, and I went through the different liability issues because, um, and I don't know if you've ever seen the COVID-19 forms that we put, uh, that we've published on our website, but the goal of those forms is to try and move the liability back to where it belongs and to mm -hmm. raise the liability issues because um, you're watching a shift of billions of dollars of liability to families for healthcare, for um, disability for workman's compensation for unemployment for death you know on and on and on the the, the shift of financial liabilities to individuals is extraordinary yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so is there some option that you've uh, uncovered that might help shift that back to the the primary culprits well what what i try and do what we tried to do with the COVID 19 forms is give individuals forms that they could use in negotiation with their employers and their schools mm -hmm. to try and hold them responsible for one informed consent which i don't see how you can be responsible for informed consent if the ingredients are a mystery 
uh, you know, that's another question. But then it it well, forced- not, not not only that, but it's impossible to have informed consent when everything is censored. Then there is no right. possible way, unless you're in viewing programs like this, to understand right. what the other side is, because you right. if you you can't make an informed decision. Right. So I I absolutely agree with that. Um, so so, but then it walks through the health care issues, the disability issues, workman comp issues, uh, uh, life insurance issues, and holds the employer or the university responsible to answer these. And of course, what comes out in that process. It started um, with something called the Family Financial Disclosure Form. We -hmm. had many subscribers who had spouses who wanted to, to get the injection and the, you know, and, and it was very important for me to give people a form where they could walk through with their spouse and ensure that an adverse event, uh, you know, impacting the spouse would not translate into a bankruptcy of the family. Because, mm. you know, there are steps that people can take to protect the family from destruction, really financial destruction, if they're foolish enough to go take one of these things. So it started with a family financial form, then it translated into an employer and university form. And I have been told by subscribers that they were able to talk their employers out of requiring them once they went through the form with them. Um, Well, I I think it's a case by case basis. And obviously the federal government is bringing more uh, pressure. This is the first time we've ever had legislation by press conference. Um, and so, uh, uh, and then finally, we did, we did with Jury Day a parental consent form for uh, for parents to deliver forms to the school, saying, you know, we we do not permit, we do not consent to your, you know, providing any of these things behind our back. Yeah. So um, anyway, but those forms are really to help individuals grapple with what are the financial and legal issues that they're facing, and it's incredible because as you know, employers and universities are just flat out lying to people, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's about the adverse events and the, you know, the potential risks, or it's about what the law is. I mean, I I dare any employer who is trying to say that they're mandating this when they're still under emergency youth authorization to produce a document from law, you know, from, from government, whether legislation or law or regulation mm-hmm. that says they have a basis in law to do this. As far as I know, OSHA has not published anything yet. No, I agree, uh, at least in theory, but I'm not sure I agree with the fact that they're, uh, they're lying because lying would imply that they're fully aware of it. And I, I suspect <laughs> the vast majority of these individuals have, are just targets of one of the most successful, not one of the, the most successful propaganda campaign in the history of the world, that they in fact sincerely believe that they are under the obligation to do that. And they're doing it under what they oh, feel they no, need to. I don't, I don't think it's no? propaganda. I think they're under terrible pressure from both the government and banks. If you're, if you're the government and, and say military purchases or military contracts or, uh, you know, a variety of different government sort of inspired revenues, if you, if you say to a company, look, we're going to shut off your purchases, we're going to shut off your contracts, we're going to, I think there's RICO conspiracy blackmail going on behind the scenes. Yeah, that's so another I interesting think, perspective. So right, they, think, they may understand it. Oh, I think I think they do understand it. And I think they're being seriously threatened 
both through the banking system. And if you look at the strongest pressure we're seeing, it's coming from the central bankers and the financial side. So, mm. you know, my, my, I've spent a lot of time with the doctors for COVID ethics over the last year, learning about what, at least what those doctors and scientists know the, the impact, you know, what's in this stuff and what does it do? But there's a whole, you know, portion of the ingredients that we still don't know what, what is in these injections. And I dare say, I believe it's connected to why the central bankers are pushing so hard. Um, mm. Because as you know, I, I, think, I think these guys are really depending on the smart grid and creepy technology to, to help them go to the last steps of financial control, which is what I think they're pushing for. Yeah, we, I definitely want to dive deep into that. But before we okay. do, I want to pick up on a few tangents that you mentioned with his, uh, the pressures that are being implemented by the government. And uh, just read this morning that Biden's new announcement is that he is going to pressure the Navy SEALs that if they refuse to get vaccinated, not only will they be discharged, but they are liable for the expense of all of their training. Here they have some of the most elite special forces in the entire world, sacrificing their lives, their very lives for the, the liberty of this country. And they're forced to pay millions of dollars for their own training if they refuse to uh, abide by their constitutional right of freedom of choice and ability to make an informed consent decision. That's just shocking. I, I hadn't heard that. That is shocking. Yeah. I, mean, and then, something, I think he's picking on the wrong group of people. <laughs> well, here's the thing. But I he's mean, picking on them. I don't know if he's trying to get a lead by an what example. Was frightening, what. what was most frightening, one of the things I watch a lot related to this sort of state of play about the dollar's reserve currency is what's going on in the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. And we saw reports of a tremendous number of flybys of the, of the Chinese over Taiwan and you know real issues around what's going on in Taiwan in the airspace. At the same time that Teresa Long publishes her affidavit, flight surgeon from Fort Rucker, Alabama, you know, saying any any pilot who's been vaccinated should be grounded until they have a full, you know, a full uh, medical checkup. In, in other words, she's saying, you know, if they've been vaccinated, they're not safe. So on one hand, you have America trying to poison its pilots at the same time, you know, that there are real issues of debates about whether we're going to continue as a reserve currency, given what's going on in the South China Sea in the airspace. I mean, yeah. yeah and yeah. we have the report of a few weeks ago where one Delta pilot actually died while he was flying the plane. And had just recently received a second vaccination. Of course, they're denying this has anything to do with. It. I think the CDC doesn't admit that anyone, anyone, that there are zero deaths from the COVID jab. That's their official legal position. It's all coincidence. You're kidding. I'm pretty sure so, that's their, yeah, at least that's what Steve Kirsch asserts. Steve okay. Kirsch has done a pretty deep deep, right. deep dive on this. I'm sure you're familiar with who he is. And yes. I have enormous respect. I mean, he's taken millions of dollars of loss for, for his position. So right. I mean, he has no financial, no conflict of interest, none. Right, right. So, um, so that's I'm extraordinary. Not, I mean, I don't, I don't know a doctor who doesn't know somebody who hasn't been I know. killed by this. <laughs> it's all coincidence. They, they are not admitting to any deaths. Even though, I mean, uh, you know, the minimal amount that have been reported in bears, but I don't want to go into the medical aspects of this because that's, okay. I mean, you, you're, you're 
well versed in this and we could go there, but I mean, you're real expertise. Well, but here's finances. the thing. I, I just saw a video and, and let me pull this back to the financial. I just saw a very cute video. I'm sure 20 people have sent it to you at least of it's two and a half minutes of Fauci saying the vaccine is safe and effective. Then he goes to 96% effective. Then he goes to 90, then he goes to 86. Then he goes, you know, down, down, down until, oh, you know, after six months, it's not effective. You need a booster. So it's a it's nothing but but newspaper headlines taking the effectiveness from 100 percent to zero and and you watch it in two and a half minutes. And what you realize under the securities laws, this is fraud. Mm -hmm. I mean, under the securities law, if it was if it was an investment, which I would argue it is, it's fraud. Well, it surely is. I mean, Fauci right. over the last 50 years has been responsible for distributing. I. I understand from uh, Robert Kennedy, who's looked into this deeply in his new book, Tony Fauci, comes out in a few weeks, uh, the truth about Tony Fauci. Uh, he was responsible for distrib distributing a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars right. of federal funding right. and grants to right. mostly the drug companies, mostly the drug right. companies. Right. Right. So it's a racket. There's no <laughs> doubt it's a racket. <laughs> so another interesting recent event, and you know, with this uh, interview will not be posted, you know, for a week or two. But the uh, Colin Powell died today or yesterday. At least it was announced today. And right. what shocked me is that they admitted that he was fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated. Well, wasn't it the family that admitted that? I, I don't know who did, but the but it's in the papers. Usually they like Hank Aaron and uh, right. the the other boxer, they all deny it. You know, they, they, they produce fake autopsies to, do we to know, why they wasn't related. Do we know what the official death? No, I don't, but I'm just right. surprised that they put those together. He died of COVID-19. That's what they're, that's what the official that's what they're saying. is a COVID-19 death, despite being fully vaccinated. I mean, to me, that to, to let that get out in the New York Times, when you, maybe you can comment on the New York Times, because you fi you figured out they were fraud in the 80s, which is <laughs> far before most of us had that understanding. But uh, that's what they're saying, that it was COVID-19. And then the same, the same brief obituary piece, they mentioned that he was fully vaccinated. I had a, uh, a wonderful reporter from the New York Times write a story about it was a big they were doing big profile pieces like on page 16 of people who had a lot of financial responsibility in the in the administration. She wrote the piece and um, and as soon as she turned it into the editors, the editors kept coming back with these unbelievable questions you know, somebody was feeding them disinformation and, and each time she would come back and I'd beat it back and beat it back and beat it back. It was all just made up stuff. Anyway, she was very rapid, really extraordinary reporter. Anyway, so she turns it in again for the last time and she gets a call from the print shop that the Washington editor has changed it behind her back and is putting things in that are just not true. <laughs> and, and so she, the, the resolution was, the, the article was very complimentary. They pulled the article and she quit because she had to go to the, she had to go to the New York Times editor above the Washington editor's head. And, and here he was putting falsehoods in and she had to resign and she never worked again as a reporter. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the painful consequence of having integrity nowadays. And I, I'm sure more people will, will suffer that. But the end result is good. And we need more people like that to stand up to this tyranny 
to prevent that from implementing well, I, these plans. I don't think we I don't think we need to stand up to the media tyranny. I think it's very simple. We just have people like you start a website and be way more successful. <laughs> I don't know what no, but I I am so excited about what I call the new media. Um, I just did an interview with a wonderful reporter in the Netherlands um, on the new media. I've been at two conferences with all new media players, and there's something really wonderful happening because people have just decided, you know, they're the old media. There's no point in struggling with them anymore. Let's just leave. And there's incredible talent shifting. You know, you're one of the leaders of the new media, so you know. I, I'm sure you never thought when you became a doctor that you would become a new media leader, right? You're, you're just no. trying to tell people the truth. And, and now I just think there's an enormous breakaway of the market away from the old media. And uh, I don't know if you realize this. I, I haven't been able to look at the, at the exact legislation, but the, there are numerous reports that there's enormous amounts of subsidies in the $3.5 trillion budget package for media, because apparently if they have no hmm. audience, they can't charge for ads. And so now the government apparently <laughs> is going to have to fund them because nobody wants to watch or listen to them. So, Yeah, it is surprise, I, quite surprising. Eventually, I think people figure out the truth. But with respect to the integrity comment, I mean, I, I, it's clearly the media is one component, but I was referring to the broader context. And when you have the instance is an example, most recent example I can think of is the Southwest pilot supposed right. you know, lockout where they had the integrity stick about their conventions and actually forced Southwest to cancel thousands right. and thousands of flights. And that's what we need to do. We need to have these individuals yes. to say, no, I Absolutely. will not comply. I will not comply no matter what the consequences, right. whatever. If you, if you take away my pension, if you fire me, if you discredit me, and I can never work right. again in my profession. We've got to do that. That's what it's going we to We have to do. No, it's it is slavery or freedom. And if you look at what they're planning and what they're, what they're shooting for with this is complete financial and tech, technological control grid that is slavery. I mean, when, when, you know, when the World Economic Forum says it's 2030 and you have no assets, mm -hmm. what is it about that that's not clear? You have no assets means you're a slave. Mm -hmm. So... Zero. I, you know, I agree with you. We have, if you, well, if you there's look a, at there's it, there's, what percentage of the population right now has no assets? Is it like 50%? I don't know. It's, it, it's very, it's very significant. Believe it or not, the Fed statistics shows that the, that the wealth of the bottom half has increased during the pandemic because of housing inflation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So course. I assure you that that, you know, that is a ruse, but yeah, well, maybe not assets when I was saying, but with respect to liquid assets, I, 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 it's extraordinary. It's like 70 or 80% of the people don't even have a few hundred dollars in reserve. Right. Well, that's because what we've watched is a tremendous effort to, whether it's bankrupting sovereign individuals or bankrupting sovereign governments, is, is literally bankrupting the population and the government so that it's much easier for the central bankers to take control. I mean, that's what, what I've been writing about since 1998 is that this is a financial coup d'etat. And now the financial coup d'etat is being consolidated in actually a coup d'etat where the central bankers assert jurisdiction over the treasury and the tax money. And if they can get the, the passports in the CBDC, then in fact, it'll just be able to take taxes out of our accounts and, yeah. and take our assets. So, so this is a real coup d'etat. 
And that's why, you know, if you look broadly at the population, we're the guys who are building the prison. We have the power to stop. We don't, mm-hmm. and that's what the Southwest pilots, God love them, approved. Yes, yeah. So I, I'm very glad we got here. I knew we would eventually, but this is exactly what I wanted to discuss. And for those uh-huh. of you watching this who are not familiar with the acronym CBDCs, that's short for Central Bank Digital Currencies. And that's Correct. really at the crux of this. You know, and I, I'm a firm believer, as I believe you are too, that the authentic cryptocurrencies that are decentralized, like Bitcoin is the prime example are a powerful alternative and a resource. And in my view, well, one of the o- I'm only be, resource, you're going to take a counter position, but we'll have I'm a going to take a counter position. But, I'm going to but, take a counter position because remember, they are all operating on systems that are controlled by the existing governance system. So, you know, any, I believe that blockchain under the current, any blockchain technology under the current governance system is a danger. So, I think that's what you have to remember. And many people believe yeah. the current cryptos are much more private than I believe they are. So yeah, uh, I, would, I would concur with that for the centralized ones and most of them are centralized, but for the decentralized one, you have, you know, there's no central server, there's no central control point of control where you can target when you've got literally thousands, maybe millions of nodes running all over the world. So it would be really, really hard to shut off. The only way you could do it is to really having, shut off the internet, which right, is possible. Having, having litigated with the Department of Justice for 11 years over financial issues and and money issues, you know, I I think they have the ability to exercise remarkable control over any of them. But I'm, you know, so how would that control, how would that control look like, since you you have expertise? It it looks like physical force. I mean, they control the hardware, they control the satellites, they control the cables. And, and but the, know, they, they don't control the private keys and, and the decentralized elements. So, I, the, the, uh, as uh, I understand, mechanically and physically, it's like next impossible to actually access that. Uh, I disagree. If they target individuals, so if they target if, individuals, interesting. If, if they target individuals, because you know I've, you know I, I've watched, uh, I, I've watched lots of people get subpoenas and have the FBI arrive at their door. And it's mm-hmm. amazing what they will hand over and go along with. Yeah, but so, that's under for, force of threat, you know. Right. But their ability, <laughs> yeah. their ability to deliver that threat, you know, is when they profound. want to is profound. Okay. Well, that's if, that's if you look at if you look at why 190 plus presidents and premiers are going along with what's going on, it's it's only because of their ability to deliver physical force. And that's what we have to deal with. Now, I still believe we have the power to completely turn this around. I want to mention one thing, though, because the, sure. the important thing, you know, our, our danger point is not CBDCs. CBDCs mm-hmm. will take them quite a while to figure out. Mm-hmm. Our danger point is the vaccine passports. Okay. If, so- if, they, if they get the passports, then we, you know, I would argue we, as a practical matter, we lose our ability to stop the CBDCs. So. So, you know, whatever we need to do, we need to, we need to stop the passports. The passports give them the kind of control they need of the digital and financial transactions that then leads into the CBDCs. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the vaccine passports and how important they are, especially in your perspective preceding the importance of the CBDCs. 
implementation, but can you walk us through your logic of why they presume so much importantness or are you presuming they're so important and then how we can effectively do this? How can we resist and, and, it con- and integrate into that equation the fact that many governors in the United States have actually passed legislation against forbidding these vaccine passports? Right. Florida being a, one of them. Uh, yeah, it's a very good development. So the, so the passports, if implemented, give um, you know, create a digital transaction system that documents and, and tracks all transactions. And if you then combine that with a central bank controlled digital currency, that then gives you the ability to stop transactions. So if I don't want you transacting more than five miles from your home, I have the ability to, to do so. If I don't want you buying pizzas, I have the ability to do so. So it's step one to building that control grid. I don't know if you've ever seen the, if you go to Solari at Solari.com and you click on Cash Friday, which is a campaign we're doing to get everybody to use cash on Friday, mm-hmm. you'll see a 56 um, second video of Karstens, the general manager of the Bank of International Settlements, mm-hmm. explaining how with CBDC, they'll have the ability to enforce all the rules they want to create about CBDCs in your money. Is, so is literally- Car- Carson's the one that weighs like four or 500 pounds? Yes, yes. <laughs> so he's, he's the general manager of the Bank of International Settlements. He came through Mexico, he's Mexican. His wife, I believe is American. And anyway, but, but when you watch it, it's very, very chilling. And it, it, it communicates about the control they think they're gonna have when this is over. But, but to get that control, first you need the entire passport system to come into being. So, so that's basically the information grid that then the CBDCs can plug into. So that's why you know the passports are now, we mm-hmm. need to stop these now, don't even worry about the CBDCs because once you get the passports, those are done deal. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, um, you know, I've seen passport apps that show people getting eight or more boosters. Um, and imagine, imagine, you know, who's going to worry about CBDCs if you've had two of these injections and eight boosters? You know, I mean, the question is, are you going to be alive at that point? I don't know. So these so, apps you're referring to are like uh, illustrations of what it's going to look like in the future? So, uh, well, yeah, uh, no, they're actually, one was a Spanish app that was already that being, being had eight, eight boosters. Yeah. Wow. The most I've ever heard of was setup. four in Israel. I didn't realize it was up really? to eight. Yeah. This, this is what, you know, I'm assuming it was accurate. It, I think it came in on one of the social media sites, but um, if you look at some of the contracts the U.S. has signed, that you know they're they're providing for sufficient files for one a month. I'm not saying that's the plan, but that's the capacity they're creating. So, yeah. I mean, if you if you if you get a passport system in place, you know that can literally stop your financial transactions unless you get another booster. You know, imagine with CBDCs, it can stop all your transactions. It can change the amount of money. It can take money out of your bank account. In other words, it's no longer a currency. It's a credit at the company store and the company controls everything. So, so how can the average person resist other than moving to a state where the governor or the government, state government forbids these? What, what can they well, practically I cer- do? I certainly think that's one thing they can do. But the other thing they can do is just refuse to use it. <laughs> 
And if that means we have to create alternative capacities for health, if that means we have to create alternative capacities to grow and, and food, you know, if, if we have to build a parallel economy, even an underground economy, that's what we have to do. You can't start down this pathway. Okay, so let me let me ask you uh, a practical logistical issue, right. because it seems it's inevitable that they're going to, in the not too distant future, implement this for domestic air travel. I mean, if right. you're going to international now, you, it's not a vaccine passport, it's something similar. You, you cannot enter that country you're going to unless you have a QR code. So that's right. not typically, that's not a traditional vaccine passport, it's, but it's, we're getting really close. So it seems to me the only options are charter and he may, they may force the charter companies to, to do this also, at least mandate it. But the, 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 the other option is you either don't go or drive. You don't go or drive. So I've been driving for years. And, and one of the reasons I've been driving for years is uh, all sorts of hassle and problems politically with flying. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, my attitude Bert, is, wait, Are these personal hassles that they've directed to? Yeah, so, so I was litigating with the federal government and you, you know, your bags show up empty sometimes. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no. I could, we wow. could, I, in fact, I have one series of 12 parts called Deep State Tactics on the Solaria Report. So I'm, a subscriber wanted me to just describe, you know, all the different sort of things that get done to harass Jeez. you and the games that, that, that are played. And it was so popular, I just kept going. So it's, you know, it's not 12 parts. But anyway, so I have a, you know, I have a PhD in deep state tactics, but, uh, <laughs> and, and because of that, you know, you get bounced from air, airplanes, other things like that. So I used to drive, I mean, literally I would drive to California and back just because it was more efficient and you are know, you on the east good. coast now uh well right now i'm in the netherlands but my base okay. camp is in tennessee Tennessee. Oh, so right. i would regularly drive to oregon or drive to california oh my on business trips. what is that three or four day trip yeah Each but way? i you know i would i would do things in between and the other thing is i had it set up so that between audio and the phone i could work you know i could have a full office day in the car sure so so, so are yeah. you are you driving yourself or someone driving you no, I was driving myself. Wow. I love to, I love to drive. So, okay. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've driven, I've put a lot of miles on a lot of cars. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But you wow. know something you learn so much about what's really going on. There is no better source of information mm -hmm. than, than driving around the country, talking to people and talking to the truckers and the truck stops. Yeah. If yeah. There's one group of people in America know what's going on. It's the truckers. So, yeah, there's a number of uh, investigative journalists are, do, are trying this or seeking to implement that strategy as a, to right. uncover what the reality of what the truth is. Well, one of the things I did was I discovered there was a whole community of people who did RV living because they just didn't trust any jurisdiction and mm. they wanted the ability to get up and go. And that group has been growing steadily. So, so my feeling is we have to say no and we have to do whatever we can do. And, um, you know, I went through that decision process during the litigation because I was absolutely convinced if I kept saying no, that I would be, the chances were very high, it could be killed. And I was poisoned on many occasions. So, you know, I dealt with some pretty severe harassment. And all I can tell you is, um, you know, saying no turned out to be the smartest thing I ever did. If, you know, uh, I, I'm not saying that isn't difficult. It isn't, I went from being- Inconvenient. Wealthy. For sure. It's ex exceptionally inconvenient. I went from being a very wealthy person 
to having to live through periods of intense poverty. You know, it was pretty gruesome. But at the same time, you know, you come out the other end and it's a, uh, it's a great life. It, it's, a, it's just a great life to be free. I'll never mm. forget. I'll tell you a funny story. I was having um, breakfast a couple of years ago in um, Union Station in Washington with a friend of mine who used to be a congressman. And, and so we didn't like the place we were having breakfast. So we walked across Union Station to go to another restaurant and we bumped into a senator coming in on Amtrak. And it was a guy who, who became senator after I left Washington. So I didn't know him. And my friend was talking to him and then he introduced me. And so the senator was being polite and he said, what do you do? And I said, well, Senator, I run something called the Salary Report. I have a wonderful group of subscribers who let me go anywhere I want, interview whoever I want, write about whatever I want. Um, and he looked at me and I was trying to be light and funny and his face just, this wave of grief came over and he said, oh my God, how could I get that job? <laughs> he, looked, he looked seriously jealous. And I said, well, Senator, the apprenticeship is a little rough. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> a U.S. senator, but right? This was senator. a U.S. senator. But, you know, uh, I appreciate how difficult his job is. And, you know, it's like being in a prison. So so yeah, I don't think there's any way to get to a free and inspired life other than turtling into it. You have to say no. And if we don't say no, we're going to be slaves. And I frankly, you know, I'd rather be dead than, than take these injections. God knows agree. what's in them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's interesting because it's my understanding that most of these politicians, congressmen, for sure, certainly senators also, that a good portion of their time is just spent on uh, financing the, the campaigns for their next election series. Right. So it's that's a, a big, job. massive waste of time. I was invited by the Republican Party of the state of Illinois to run for governor. And I quickly said no, <laughs> no thoughts of any political life. I said, I don't want to be in that arena because it's just such an inefficient waste of time. So uh, but I, your response is very powerful. And I wasn't really expecting that. You know, I was hoping to under and we're still going to die. There's a lot more to talk about in the finances on this, but this may be the most important point of the whole interview is that a very wealthy person, prominent and influential like yourself, chose, consciously chose to say no, to resist in an earlier stage that far preceded this pandemic. But nevertheless, it's the same consequences. You said no. And I think that may be the most important message that we can share with people, encourage, motivate, and catalyze them to behavior and use you as an example. So, so yes, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be painful. But when you come out on the other side, it may be the best thing that ever happened to you. Absolutely. Because you know something? Without integrity, there's nothing. Without law, there's nothing. Without rules, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can't, there's certain things in life you can't compromise on. And if you do, it's a slippery slope down. So, you know, one of the things I say to people who say, I might lose my job if I don't go along with getting injected. I said, why would you want to work for anybody who would ever mandate that you put poison into your body, you know, that you're not allowed to know what's in it? Well, why would you well, want well, that job? Let's tangent there for a moment because I think it's an important point. Um, because Biden a few weeks ago is, issued this unconstitutional presidential uh, directive that companies more that had more than 100 employees were required to mandate it. And the, the, the penalty at that point was, I believe, was $17,000 fine, from, right. from which in the current iteration of the bill has increased to 700000 And I think that's per incident. So that would quickly bankrupt 
all but the wealthiest companies in the United States. So they, they don't have any choice. Either they comply or they're bankrupt. So, I and mean, do you fault the company for that? Or, I mean, what, and it's, it's somebody- uh, Yeah, I do. Similar, I do. You do, and okay. I, you I understand, I understand your logic why. for that. Why? This is genocide. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if a government without a, a legal, you know, a basis in law, there is no OSHA temporary, reg, you know, emergency rule. There is no document. If I'm a, if I'm a company and you have no law and you mm -hmm. have no regulation and you have no emergency regulation, you can't legislate law by press conference and you can't apply civil money penalties out of, out of thin air. You know, so you, you don't think they'll ever be implemented, the, the, the penalties? Uh, you know, I, I don't know in what basis in law you can apply a civil money penalty to a violation of a non-existent law and a non-existent rule. Now, I'm not saying you can't find a judge and threaten him and scare him into going along with that. But, you know, I have to tell you, if there's, if there's anything worth litigating, it's that. Mm -hmm. okay. You know, but... But let, let's talk about whether a company can exist as a political matter. Mm -hmm. if, if every company in the world is basically a captive of blackmail of the mm -hmm. Spectre organization, because this is getting very James Bond. And so no one can represent the shareholder because they can't say no to organized crime. You know, then then we no longer have an economy. We no longer have a stock market. We no longer have a country. We no longer have a civilization. We just have a mob, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all gone. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, to me, I can't think of anything better to litigate than whether or not we're going to have law. If everything is just the rule of the mafia, you know, there will be no companies, there will be no stock market, there will be no financial system, and a lot of us are going to die. Well, there's many people who believe that that's already in play now when you've essentially jabbed, you know, what appears to be the majority of the population. That's what they claim. It's hard to get real numbers because they lie so much. So what can you trust? What, what data right. stream is reliable? I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think we're going to have to decide whether we want to have the rule of law or not. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and Fundamental. Right. You know, and, I'm, I'm and sure you're federal, familiar with, with David Martin, who's really uncovered a lot of the paper trail behind this going back two decades. And it's his contention when I interviewed him that to this point that there's three branches of the government, obviously, uh, legislative, executive and judicial. And it's seen his he believes that they captured the judicial system, which is essentially busted the whole balance of the, of the United States approach because they can control it. And through the judicial branch, they can implement these illegal unconstitutional orders. Well, here's the question. Um, and, and I don't think the judicial branch is enough to implement illegal unconstitutional orders because ultimately it comes down to 325 million people in America paying their taxes, mm -hmm. you know, banking, uh, putting their money in investments. In other words, 325 million people have tremendous influence with how they use their time and their resources. Um, but what I do think it gets back to coercion and force. 
do do we have as a society sufficient covert ops control files blackmail and dirty tricks to basically bribe coerce or scare every judge into going along it's very interesting because i litigated with the federal government and i saw a lot of pressure brought to bear and a lot of ju- uh, uh, judges but they couldn't they couldn't buy and control everyone they could buy and control some is what my read of what really happened but not everyone and mm-hmm. it was a miracle because i won the the most important case and you know everybody told me it was impossible it couldn't be done and yet a judge held firm mm. so I, what, year, I what, year, what year was that? Uh, 2000, 2003, 2004. Okay. So I, I, don't, I don't believe that organized crime with all its coercive force has the power to, you know, to, to basically sabotage all law if the people stand up. I, okay, I just so don't. you mentioned organized crime. Is it, I mean, when you say a word like that, you think, typically think of the, the mafia. But what what I, I'm sure it's not because the mafia is is actually clean compared to the criminals who are implementing this, which is well. Traditionally- so that's why I called it Spectre. Okay. So we're wow. talking about the people who have space, who control space and space weapons. So okay. that's that's I, another one of your your specialties too, the funding of the space program. Right. I don't so, I, I don't think we have time to go there, but it's really intriguing. I've heard you talk on it before, so. Uh, I mean, we could spend hours talking. <laughs> your, your your knowledge base is very, very deep. So, uh, and, and you have insights that really few people have access to. But uh, maybe we could just tangent a little bit on who's behind this. You know, I've, I've reached a conclusion conclusion that the, the closest we can get the identity of these criminals is the the the, the private shareholders of Vanguard because they own most of the companies of the world, and you know I, that I. I would say, actually, if you look at how Vanguard is organized, or my understanding of how Vanguard is organized, I would say it's really the private owners of the central banks. So, really, and that 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 information is not disclosed. The owners of the central bank is hidden. So, so Vanguard is essentially owned by itself. So the question is, who controls it behind the scenes? Yeah, I have an online book um, called Dylan Reed and the Aristocracy of Stock Profits. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried to publish it in hard copy three times, and each time I've been threatened. And the last time they threatened somebody in my family. Wow. So I've left it online. I said, you know, it's not worth, I, mm-hmm. I have no idea whether it was an empty threat or a real threat, but it, I thought it, it could have been real enough that I just said, mm-hmm. okay, I'll just leave it online. But I tell the story of how at one point I was a partner and member of the board of Dylan Reed. Mm-hmm. At one point, I was surprised at their choice of the next president of the firm. Mm-hmm. And um, a wonderful partner there, whose father had run the firm once upon a time as a chairman. So I said to him, you know, I- I'm surprised at the choice. He's not a Nick guy at all. Nick Brady being the, uh, the chairman of the firm had gone down to the Senate to be in the Senate for a while, which is why they were bringing another president. And, and my partner looked at me, he said, Nick didn't choose him, the Rothschilds choose him. And I said, wait a minute, we own the firm. What do the Rothschilds have to do with us? And he just looked at me and he rolled his eyes. I used to get these looks like, I knew if you made a woman a partner, they're so stupid, they have no clue. I knew we shouldn't have done this. You know, so I got the, oh God, we should never made a girl partner look. And he just walked off like I was the dumbest person in America. All right. Well, you've learned a lot since that moment. And can you expand on it? Because I, that's another interesting tangent, because, you know, many believe that Rothschilds 
are probably the richest family in the world and do control a lot of the behind the scenes issues. And really their, their absolute wealth is not disclosed anywhere. So they're never going to make any Forbes list or, you know. So here's, here's what I, you know, my nickname for the committee that runs the world is the okay. Mr. Global, because I don't Mr. Global. really understand. Yeah. So I don't really understand how it works at the top. Here's what I will tell you is one decision-making is highly centralized. It's very much committees and, you know, cause it's a big planet and it's complicated, mm -hmm. hard to run. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the people running it are a prisoner of 50 years of secrecy. You know, they've gotten hung mm -hmm. on the, on the petard of their own secrecy. And what I will tell you about the financial system is that there is a tremendous amount of money for the, you know, since World War II that constantly disappears uh, through the financial system. It's almost as though the planet is a REIT. Uh, I'll never forget watching uh, a movie, Jupiter Ascending, and, and the princess from, from mm -hmm. faraway galaxy looks at <laughs> this woman from Earth and she says, you know, Earth, Earth is just a very small part of a much bigger corporation. <laughs> but that actually, <laughs> if you look at the financial system, that is how it works as though everybody's being forced to produce this dividend and it's become very dysfunctional because of the secrecy. Now I've been told on several occasions, and I tend to believe it, that the people who literally run what most people call the deep state mm -hmm. have tried to figure out how they could reduce the transparency mm -hmm. and they run into so many liability issues, they just give up. And I have to tell you, if there is one solution we all need is to, to bring tremendous transparency and reduce the risk of the people at the top. Because I think one of the things, one of the reasons they're going into complete control, they think with a smart grid and whatever they're trying to put in the body, they can get complete control, including mind control. And that is how they can manage things very centrally with AI. I think it's a terrible mistake. I disagree with the decision, but I think they feel like they're in a box and don't know what else to do. And, and if we're going to get out of this, we need to, one, we need to just say no and refuse to go into mm -hmm. the box. But mm -hmm. the other is we need to bring transparency and we need to bring in a transparency where we can all change because we do need a reset. If we keep going the way we're going, it's not going to work. Yeah, th I mean, there's a lot of people who believe it's a mathematical inevitability that we're going to work the economy, not the economy, but the financialism has to collapse. You cannot keep on putting debt endlessly and not expect that that result. It, it, the only well, issue but, is when. It's not but, if, it's when. Well, but but here's the, the the reason that is the case is because we have a negative return on investment. But you could absolutely re-engineer the financial system to a positive return on investment. You know, but that means the same people can't control and the corporate model can't control. The, the corporate model right now is a complete failure. Mm -hmm. So it has to be re-engineered. What, what is that model that you're referring to? The model says that, that, that corporations basically can function above the law. I mean, right now oh, we, have, okay. we have a legal doctrine that says, you know, as long as they can make money, they're free to, you know, more or less to, to act above the law. The economy has to be subservient to the society. You, you cannot let your economic life determine the rule of law. And so, and so we've given um, basically legal immunity to the big international banks. 
and through them to the corporations. And, and the current corporate model as it currently exists does not work. What we're watching is the society be destroyed to keep it going mm -hmm. and, and, and give them complete control to keep it going. And frankly, you know, you cannot have a healthy economy or society when the financial sector is dominant as opposed to subservient. Mm -hmm. You know, the financial system should serve society and civilization, not vice versa. Yeah. So in your pre other previous comment, you had mentioned the, the Mr. Global had these uh, intentions, desires, these long-term plans that was going to implement complete control as their strategy to insulate themselves from any liability. So, and you disagreed with that, 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 that is even possible, but there's an implication in there that way everyone knows what this complete control is. And, and I think almost no one does. So can you expand on what your perception is of the, their, sure, their complete, complete control is you have, um, you know, you're on a smart grid that's under 24 seven surveillance um, and subjects you to all sorts of propaganda and mind control. And they have the power to literally turn off your money if you don't mm -hmm. behave. Um, and that can be managed with software and, and, and AI and, you know, basically a smart grid. Through so the, through the vaccine would, passport and CBDC. CBDC yeah. Yeah. So I would describe it as a slavery system. And if you go back and look at the history of slavery, there were two reasons I believe they canceled the African-American slave trade and digital technology solves both those problems. So now they can, they can literally collateralize a human being and, and connect it to the banking system and they can stop all violent revolution once they have everybody basically digitized and, and on a financial transaction control system. So, you know, if the, the, the passports are not just an invasion of, of privacy, they are a first step into a slaughterhouse in which you do not want to go. And what do you, do you have any projections as to the time frame on the, their, their plans? So I think they would like to have the CBD system, you know, sort of figured out and worked out by 2025. Mm -hmm. And clearly they, wherever they want to go with transhumanism, I think they, they want that. Uh, sort of in place by 2030, just to listen to their plans. I think it's very hard for most people to understand how gruesome some of the transhumanist visions are. My concern, um, when you look at the questions that Mike Yaden and others have brought up about fertility is now that they you know, now that they have gene editing, are they really planning on centrally controlling who can cannot have babies and what the genes that come into the world are? Yeah, Eden and others believe that uh, a major consequence that these COVID injections are going to be massive reduction in infertility, right. or massive re re reduction in fertility, so an increase in infertility, but uh, which is already collapsing at a pretty frightening rate. Right. Right. And not I, not due to the COVID injections, just primarily due to, to uh, external toxins and phthalates and BPAs and all those. Right. Well, I for many years on the Salaria Report, I've discussed something called the Great Poisoning, mm -hmm. and I really think the COVID nineteen injections are just a next step in acceleration of the Great Poisoning, and need mm -hmm. to be seen in that context. 
And the grape poisoning includes these other environmental toxins and endocrine yes. disruptors. Yeah. Right. And, and GMO food and synthetic food and mm -hmm. spraying, whatever's in the spraying. Um, so I just, you know, one of the things I saw from driving By spraying, you're Africa, talking about uh, geoengineering? Yeah. Okay. And, and what, what I saw driving around America from 1996 on was the deterioration in the food supply, the increase in sort of environmental pollutions in the spring was leading to literally an epidemic of, uh, that came from increased toxicity and immunosuppression, the combination of which everybody would die of whatever their weakness was. It didn't look like an epidemic, but it really was. Mm -hmm. It was a poisoning. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely makes sense. Uh, part of their overall strategy. Um, and we'll know. I mean, do you have any insights or projections with respect to timing uh, on the acute results of what's going to happen this fall and maybe into next year as a result of these infections? Injections? No, I, I, I think the situation is very fluid. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I think it's impossible to predict and, and it could go many different ways. And partly because the, think of the decision-making process at the top is very creative. Mm -hmm. So think, you know, we're in a war and their strategies depend on our strategies as well. Interesting. So, absolutely. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think, I think that we're in a very intense negotiation between the general population and the people trying to manage this. And I also don't think that they all, you know, again, it's a, it's a complex committee system and they don't necessarily have a tight consensus. And what is your perception of the resistance, the people who are resisting their, uh, their efforts? Because clearly there's not one group. It's, it's a wide variety of different people. And are they just collectively analyzing the response and, this, and what they're censoring, suppressing, and, and seeing what's happening? Is, and that's their measure of how they're uh, going to, to uh, change their operation or plans? Yeah, so, so I think they're, you know, they're constantly calibrating. Um, what I see, which is very unusual and very special, and it's the first time, you know, I left the Bush administration in 1991 and said the fascists are going to get a hold of this technology. We have to do something. We need a plan. So I thought it was an emergency in 1991. For the first time, I'm seeing extraordinarily talented, well-educated people who have always been reluctant, you know, they've always wanted to stay in the middle of the road. And they're literally saying, you know, something, I would rather die than be a part of this. You know, they're mm. having the same response I had in 1998. I would, you know, I would rather die in the wilderness trying than be part of this. I want out. I remember one really phenomenal scientist and doctor saying to me, I'm ready to start a whole new civilization. <laughs> And, and that's a wave of talent and, and, uh, and gravitas I've never seen before saying, you know, I'd rather be part of the new, I've had it with this. So I see a tremendous breakout of, it's not just pushback, but of people who want to be part of something that is civilized and realize that that the corruption has reached a point where there's no point in trying to get along or be in the middle of the road or go along. 
how, how, what's your perception as to how that would look being implemented? How would these people who feel very strongly about this as you do actually put that into action? How, other know, than saying I, no and resisting these mandates is, it's, is it's, it's thousands of different fact patterns because different people have different skills they have different resources mm -hmm. they have different networks um but it is a you know you're you're hearing reports of companies having problems hiring employees all over the country mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that's people saying there's no point in trying to work in the corporate model anymore there's no point in trying to get along i can't get along you know, I'd rather go start my own thing or I'd rather retire early or mm -hmm. I'd rather, you know, work as a part-time consultant or, you know, I used to have a great cleaning company that I would work with. They were all uh, corporate executives who had left corporate America and were working, doing high-end cleaning because they preferred to do high-end cleaning than working in a corporation, yeah. you know, and they were very talented, retired executives. Some were stockbrokers. So, so I think it, I think there are thousands of different fact patterns. I, I think it's very hard to describe it generically. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but uh, I just think you're walking, you're, you're, you're watching enormous amounts of talent and intelligence break away. And the challenge for all of us is how can we swing our savings and our retirement savings to finance the creation of that new capacity? You know, on one hand, you have students leaving school and needing to homeschool. On the other hand, you have teachers leaving schools because they don't want to get the injection. They've got to, we've got to create businesses and networks and websites mm -hmm. that help, you know, help us find each other. So, so, you know, if that process occurs in an entrepreneurial way, it could be very positive and very exciting. That's what I see in the new media is, okay. is that that is occurring in the new media. Um, but it needs to happen in healthcare. It needs to happen in education. Sure. So it 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 needs and and it's going to require enough people realizing that there is no, you know, the Titanic is sinking. There's no way back. They might as well grab some planks and start building arcs. Yeah, what you're describing seems eerily similar to Ayn Rand's book Atlas Shrugged. Welcome to Gold Sculpt. <laughs> yeah, it. It, there's no way back. It's over. It's a tough one to swallow. You know something? It's um, without integrity, there's no civilization. So if you want to be part of something that has integrity, you can't stay. I, I, I say it again, there's no middle of the road. Yeah. So... I'm particularly fascinated with Atlas Shrugged. And do you think that, I mean, the book was written 70 years ago, uh -huh. incredibly prescient in our current times. So do you think that that's, it seems like that's what you're suggesting, the similar process where you just escape and say no, and you retreat. Well, I, th I think what I would say is you, you say yes to integrity and mm -hmm. you say who or what but you know no to society and you're not going to contribute to it anymore. Well, no, you say yes, you say yes to civilization. You say yeah. no to organized crime. Right. <laughs> so right. I, you know, I disagree that organized crime is society. Okay. I, I really do. So the perception is that it is. No. Well, but here's the thing: if you don't have any law, 
You know, mm-hmm. nothing can work if you don't have fact. It's like science without facts. What good is science without facts, right? Propaganda. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, you have seen, and I have seen millions of families financially destroyed by getting their medicine and their healthcare from propaganda instead of from science. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look at the mathematics of time and money, you cannot have a productive society without real science and without law. It, it can't work. It just, it cannot work. So, you know, so I say choose, you know, say yes to science, say yes to, um, to integrity, say yes to, to law, you know, and, and, and then every, every person's circumstance is different you know, but find a way to translate that yes into something productive, be useful. So, uh, you know, that's what I tried to do. I, I, when I, you know, I had a wonderful life as an investment banker, but I woke up and I couldn't be an investment banker because, you know, you had to swing, I was swinging around billions of dollars. So you had to work for governments and corporations. And I remember in 1998, I turned to my attorney and I said, you know, we're going to have to find a way to support ourselves at retail. And she looked at me and she said, good luck, honey. Cause <laughs> people like me weren't, you know, I, I, I did billion dollar deals. I didn't know how to do, you know, a financial plan for somebody who had $25,000. Mm-hmm. So, so I started by just answering people's questions and those questions evolved into two businesses. One of which is the Solaria report and the other is Solaria investment advisory services. It took many years, but I just tried to be useful. So we each have to start there. We have to say, what skills do I have? What skills can I learn? What skills can I evolve? And how can I serve the people around me? What can I do to be useful? And we go from there, but you have to choose integrity and civilization or choose you know, being, being a slave of organized crime. You have to make that choice. And you know something, it's a dangerous choice. I almost died. I almost didn't make it. Yeah. You know, and I might not have made it, but I assure you, you know, mm-hmm. as That's I told my own, well, I told my old partners, I'd rather die in the wilderness than, yeah. you know, be in the underground cave was, or the underground bases with you guys. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a tough choice, but I think being integrity has many, many benefits and you, you're a blazing example of what that can be. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, this is a, an evolving set up and right. the only way that we're going to be able to react optimally is to have good sources of information and you can right. be a hundred percent guaranteed assured to the highest degree of confidence that you are not ever going to get that from the mainstream media they are going to give you blatant lies and propaganda the classic illustration of orwellian double speed almost everything they tell you is the exact opposite of the truth what's up is down what's right is left what's black is really white so um, the, what I wanted to say that to lead into examples of sources of people who, who have a good handle on truth. And, and uh, I believe I'm one of them. And I was surprised to find out before we started this conversation that your Solari report, which I want you to describe in more detail next, actually identified me as the, well, I forget what it was, but it was a, it was a real high. So here's honor. what it was. We have uh, we do quarterly wrap ups where we sort of uh, summarize all the news of that quarter. And last year we did one called the injection fraud. My article about the uh, COVID-19 pandemic was the injection fraud. And then we 
titled The Wrap of the Injection Fraud. And in it, we had a section called Pandemic Heroes, of which you were one. And, um, and those were the people who'd really fought hard and, and, and gone to extraordinary lengths to sort of protect us, help us, including with good intelligence. And then we listed the best websites of sources of information on COVID-19 and the pandemic. And you were listed as the number one all around most reliable source. We chose three and you were number one. Well, so, thanks so much. I'd, I'd like to get a copy of that. <laughs> I, 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 you tell me where, have your staff send me the where, where, how many you want and where we should mail them. And I'd be delighted to send you. Okay, that'd be great. You want. <laughs> so, but anyway, the, the, the point of that di divergent and tangent was that the Solari Report is clearly a, a, a great resource, something that you would benefit from reading in empowering you to make the right type of decisions and, and even motivating and catalyzing you to have the willpower and the discipline to make those right decisions. So tell us a little bit more about the Solari Report right. so and how people is, can find it. Is really to be the, an intelligence network. So, you know, it's funny, we have a section in every wrap up called unanswered questions and we have more questions than we have answers. And we have wonderful subscribers who, who flow a lot of information. So a lot of times I'll say, I don't know the answer. And the subscribers will jump on the subscriber input and we'll have lots of discussions. And, you know, it's a very rich intelligence network. And so our, our goal is to be an intelligence network and a learning network and to facilitate that and grow that. And um, because if you look at the, you know, the guys on the other side, they spend a fortune on intelligence. So I think it's very important that we, you know, we provide an alternative and we do a lot of posting and networking with other new media websites, because I, you know, I go back to the expression, there's nobody as smart as all of us. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we publish a weekly roundup called Money and Markets and then an interview every week. Um, we're constantly posting the best links and to, to, uh, you know, to other sites, the headlines and in a news trends and story section, we publish book reviews and other materials, but then we do these quarterly wrap ups. And our theory is you're busy, you don't have time mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. you know, to, to watch all the news. And our goal is if you just read those quarterly wrap ups mm -hmm. over time, you will understand not only what's going on with current events, but the deeper themes, because I find if you understand things like the going direct reset or the injection fraud, if you, you know, if you understand 20 or 30 different primary trends deeply, you'll have a very good basis to sort of navigate all the propaganda and disinformation. One of the things we try very hard to do is filter out the disinformation because it's mm -hmm. a, it's a, I find, you know, sort of bad information, bad intelligence is one of the great destroyers of, of family wealth. So we try very hard to filter out disinformation propaganda. So that's, and that's why we're always looking for new media websites that are trustworthy. And again, thank you for what you're doing because you're one of them. Well, thanks. So the, um, it's exactly what we need because especially in the last two years when Google started their censoring campaign, they took me out right. in 2019. So you simply, if you are relying on the conventional search engine, just let me remind you that, not you, but people watching this, that Google has 93% of the searches in the world, uh, either through their site directly or through almost every other search engine that uses them as their primary driver of data. So if you think you're going to find information about this on 
the search engines. You simply aren't. So you need reliable, consistent sources that can keep you updated. And, and this sounds like the Solar Report is just an amazing resource and tool to do that because not only do you get the information from you, but you have, you've identified the other credible sources. So you need a whole collection of these because there's no right. one site that has it all. <laughs> My site for oh. sure. I mean, you need a, a collection, a wide sprains and, and you'll get, if you do that, you'll have a, You'll, you'll come to a consensus and, and understand what the reality is, the truth, because it isn't what right. the mainstream is telling you. Right. The other thing is what I'm hoping to be part of is creating the best and the richest possible, highest possible learning speeds, because this is a war. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I happen to believe it's a 10,000 year old war. I, it's been going on for a long time. And, you know, nobody won the war with that great intelligence. So we have to, we have to help each other you know, we have to help each other really jump the curve on on a high learning speed and high intelligence. Mm -hmm. So just curious, is this war, the 10,000 year war you're referring to, the war between good and evil? It's a war between good and evil. And I also think it's a war um, for the human soul. In other words, mm -hmm. I, I believe our souls are immortal. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I really think this is a war for the human soul. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, yes, I think it's between good and evil. I, but I also think, are we going to have a civilization which believes in transcendent life and intelligence or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I believe what Mr. Global ultimately wants to do through the smart grid is hook us up to the machine as opposed to hook us up to life. So I think we resonate with each other in all of life. And I'd rather resonate with the divine intelligence in all of life than with yeah. Mr. Global Cell Tower. Yeah, maybe yeah. we can talk about that on a future interview because we didn't okay. even touch the transhumanism component, but that's another fascinating uh, tangent that right. uh, could take up a whole hour easily. <laughs> all right, so I couldn't agree with you more. There, there are a lot of experts that I know who concur with that assessment. So I think uh -huh. you're spot on. So it's been an absolute delight, an absolute pleasure to finally get to connect